Turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter, the very first verse, because we're going to begin, you see, and, uh, <laughs> and we're going to start right at the beginning. I toyed with the idea of preaching all the way through the Bible in one sermon, but I, I gave it up. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I gave it up. So we're, we're, Pastor Matt and I are going to kind of tag team this morning, and we're going to have a really, really good time together. Now, we have announced that today, the first of the year, when the calendar just flipped from uh, 2022 to 2023, that we want to begin. And we have three main initiatives, and we've been talking about them. Let me just state them briefly and quickly and clearly. We want to begin to read through the Bible this year together as a church body. I'm talking about students and young adults and parents and senior adults and every child who can to read through the Bible. There's a paper guide like this. You can pick them up. You probably picked them up coming in. If not, on the way out, you can pick them up as well. Much easier on the app. You can use it every day and uh, keep up with it. About once a month, we're going to have somebody come up, not a preacher, not uh, an official, but somebody's going to come up and they're going to talk about what they've been seeing and they're going to challenge us to stay on task as we read through. I've encouraged you to read through a version of the Bible that you have not read through before. Now, I know that that ruffles feathers with some of you because some of you are convinced there's only one version and so on. That's fine. I won't argue with you, but I would encourage you to try to read something different, give you a fresh look at it. Uh, We have this morning a few of these, the New Living Translation of the Bible. It is a thought-for-thought translation. It's not word-for-word. I preach every week from the New King James, which is a word-for-word uh, translation of the Bible, but this is very helpful, gives uh, a look at the God's Word and helps you think and see things maybe you haven't done before. If you'd like one, you can pick that up right back there at where Pastor Kirby is there at the kiosk on the right going out. Something else that we want to talk about this morning uh, that we've had on our shelf for a while, uh, it just kind of came to mind. I think Jonathan thought of it, to be honest. We've had these on our shelf for a while, and the name of this book is Begin, and uh, it is available this time for free. Uh, there's 40 of them. If you'd like one of them, you can have it. But I'm encouraging those who are very ambitious. Uh, you really, really, really are, you've come to know the Lord. You're very ambitious about digging in and finding out what it's all about. This is a beautiful through the Bible study in one volume. Uh, it's for beginners and uh, it's called Begin and you can have one. Just go back. There's only 40, so I can't do anything about if there's a parade or a stampede back there, but Pastor Kirby will be ready for you. I don't know if he'll have bouncers or what, but he is going to be ready for you to come back and get those. So I want to encourage you. Uh, in that. So we want you to begin this year reading through the Bible. We want to do it together as a church body. Something else, we want to begin the year connected in a community group. Now, as Jonathan announced, there's not a lot happening today, but in earnest, next week, the 8th, and every week after that, there are many opportunities here. We won't belabor the point because I will talk about it a lot next week. But begin the year in a community group. The benefits are and blessings are endless, and we want to just, just let's just do it this year. Get in a group if you've not been in one. If you're in one, continue. If you'd like to try different groups, you can do that as well. Then, I would like you to begin now thinking of family and or friends. This sounds like kind of weird. You're saying, Pastor, this, we just got done with Christmas. Today is the first day of the year. It's New Year's, and I got a ham cooking right now. Will you just, you know, look, I want you to begin to think about who you might invite to church for our Easter events. Begin, begin. 
Now, I'm going to be taking these banners down shortly and putting something else up there, but we were finding family and finding friends, and we should never stop doing that. We should never stop thinking about those people of our acquaintance that we are interested in seeing come to know Jesus. There's something I'm very convinced of. I've been thinking about this a lot. I think the best way for us to impact our culture, our city, and our state for Jesus, I've been thinking about that. I'm convinced the best way to do it is one person at a time, just like they did in the New Testament. You know, lives are changed and people are converted one at a time, just one at a time. There's no, there's no horde and herd salvation. There might be herd immunity, but there is no, there's no herd salvation. We have a very compelling story to tell, brethren. We have the story of Jesus and his saving love for each and every person of our acquaintance and encounter. How many of you believe everybody ought to hear about Jesus? Say amen. Well, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that by myself. And as, and as out there and boisterous and able as Pastor Jonathan is, he's not going to be able to do that by himself. Pastor Matt is a fantastic expositor of the Word. He cannot do it by himself. We can't. None of us are elders. Nobody, no one person. But what if everybody was? What if everybody was thinking about that person of our acquaintance or our encounter, these family and friends, people that we know? What if each one was reaching one? Say that with me. Each one. Reach one. Oh, my. You know, the Bible says in Luke 14, 23, the master said to the servant, go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. I looked up and did a study on the word compel, and it means be persuasive. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And I just want to say, indeed, we are compelled to compel people to come and hear our compelling message. I wrote it this way, compelling people with a compelling message. I would love for us to do that in 2023. Be persuasive. If you're convinced in your, how many of you are convinced in your heart Jesus is the only way to heaven? Then let's be compelling because without Jesus, people are not going to heaven. It is so important. So back to the Bible reading. Pastor Matt's going to follow me in a minute or two, and we're going to encourage you to read, and we're going to encourage you to do this. We're going to encourage you to look for Jesus all the way through your reading. Look for Jesus in the Scriptures. Um, he's very easy to find in the New Testament, but he's very present in the Old Testament as well. So we're going to talk about four Old Testament portraits of Christ or themes that you'll find throughout the Old Testament that all point to Jesus. And the first one I want to talk about this morning very quickly is Jesus and creation. If you're looking for notes, looking for somewhere to write things down, I hope you got a blank sheet of paper because we didn't do that this morning. Just want you to listen carefully. Somebody has said, and I've read it in many places, that the New Testament is in the old concealed, and the Old Testament is by the new revealed. I concur. This one book that we have in our hands is divided into two parts. There is the part before Christ became man, and there's the part once Jesus had come to earth. I want to give you a quote from a very famous German commentary by Kyle and Delich that says this. The church of Christ is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ came not to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. As he said to the Jews, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, John 5, 39 and following. Also, a short time later before his ascension, he opened the understanding of the scriptures that they might understand the scriptures beginning at Moses, first books of the Bible. And all the prophets, and he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, Luke 24, 25, and following. In other words, Jesus is the central figure and the main character in the Bible. 
Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus. This book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Of course, the revelation of the Father, but he is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So what we want you to do this year is we want you to look for Jesus as you read through the Bible. There are many prefigures of this. For instance, Jesus is like Adam, the progenitor of humanity, but Jesus is the last Adam who gives eternal life. People like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Moses and Joshua, whose name really means Savior, just like Jesus. And then David, he was a prophet, a priest, and a king like Jesus. All of them are prefigures of Jesus. And there's all kinds of Bible types as you read through the Bible. Uh, like the ark of safety for Noah's family, a spotless lamb, manna, water from a rock, the rock of Horeb, every aspect and piece of furniture in the tabernacle in the wilderness, and many, many more. And we'd like you to get yourself a little notebook and write down every time that you think something might be referring to Jesus, or if you would like to ask if it does refer to Jesus. And then have discussions with others. Bring it up in your community group. Bring it up to one of us. Write us an email. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus all the way through the Bible. So we're talking about Jesus in Genesis. And the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Note this, that time and space and matter and the beginner are all there. Time, space, matter. In the beginning, time. God, he's the beginner. He made the heavens, the expanse, and he made matter. He made material things. He did it all. It happens in the very first verse of the Bible. I just want to put it this way. There was God before there was time, space, or matter. God was first. There are three words used for God in the Bible. They are El, Eloah, and Elohim. I mean that word in the beginning, God, that particular one. There's three words that are used for that word, God, El, Eloah, and Elohim. The one used most in The Bible, and most all the way through the first chapter of Genesis, is that word Elohim. It appears 2,750 times in the Bible. And so what is the point of Elohim? Well, it's plural. God is the creator and sustainer of all, but truly the Father administered, the Spirit moved, and the Word of God made everything that was made. Who is the Word of God made flesh? Jesus. There's a name, Elohim. There's a pronoun. I want you to look in your Bible at Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. We're talking about Jesus in the Bible. God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and so on. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'm emphasizing this fact that God, Elohim, plural, a Godhead, a three in one, said, let us make man in our image, our likeness. What? What is this us and our? I don't, I know that today pronouns are getting really interesting, but this one really is interesting because it says we, us, our, and God is talking. The one God, not three gods, but a God who is three in one. It shows up very early in the Bible, and that's very significant. Of course it is when we think that not one jot or tittle of God's word will ever pass away. We can see that Jesus is present with God in the creation of men and women. Now, folks, this is not the emphasis of the sermon this morning, but please note that he made them male and female and nothing else. There are four instances of God's plural reference to himself in the Bible, four of them. 
I just read you the first one in 126. Here's Genesis 3:22. The Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. That has to do with the with the, um, the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. And then Genesis eleven seven. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language. Let us go down and confuse their language. That's regarding the Tower of Babel. And then there's this beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. And I, I heard the voice of the Lord God saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for? What's the word? Us. Who, who's going to go for us? And boy, what a great question to ask this morning. Not the subject of my sermon, but who's, who is going to go for the Godhead? Who is going to go forth with the word? Who's going to go and tell? Who is going to go across the street? Who is going to do this? Who's going to go around the world? Oh, what a missionary verse that is. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I might start off the year asking that. Young people looking for a reason in life. How about God using you in faraway places? He will. If you make yourself available, Isaiah said, then I said, here am I, send me. Finally, a clear statement. When we get to the New Testament, we find clear statements that confirm all of the shadows and types and prefigures of the Old Testament that you're going to read. John 1, 1 to 3 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Listen to this. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. We've studied that. The Word became flesh and he dwelt among us and who was that that dwelt among us and we saw him who was that Jesus so in the beginning was the word who was there in the beginning Jesus and what did he do created everything Colossians 1 16 for by him Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and on earth visible and invisible thrones dominions principalities and powers all things were created through him and for him by the way that's why you're made you're made by Jesus for Jesus so important he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Here's another, finally, Hebrew 1, 1 to 2. God at different times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. But he has, in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and who, not incidentally, through whom he also made the worlds. Jesus is the agent of creation. Point two, and we're going to sing a song. You say, you're going to have a song in the middle of the sermon? Yep. Point two, Jesus and the fall. So we had Jesus in creation. He's all the way through. He is the creator. Every time you see that word God, Lord God, God in capital letters. Remember, you're also talking about Jesus. So important. Jesus and the fall. Another theme to watch is the fall of mankind and the promised redemption in Christ. I'm going to be very brief. Look at Genesis chapter 3. It records the tragic history of Satan's temptation of Eve, Adam's irresponsible behavior, their subsequent fall and expulsion from the garden of God, God's paradise that was prepared for man. It was Eden. But even in the midst of that tragedy, there was given the promise of deliverance. One of the most amazing verses in the scripture is in the middle of disaster. Remember, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God was not surprised by the fall. So important, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the proto-evangelion, first picture in the scripture of the gospel. It is so incredible. It says as God, he'd been passing out curses to the man, to the woman, to the snake, and then he says, speaking specifically to Satan, I'm going to put enmity or hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head 
and you shall bruise his heel. All through the Old Testament, Satan's seeds, evil men are going to be used at strike at God's people seeking to destroy the bloodline that leads to the manger where the Son of God is going to be born. I thought of tracing all of those, but look for them. Every time a human leader rose up and sought to eliminate the Jews, just think about it. They're trying to stop the Savior from coming into the world, and Satan is doing it. God's going to be born as a human, and then he's going to head to the cross where Satan is defeated. The many patterns then of deliverers. First of all, there was this first promise of a deliverer and then many patterns of deliverers all the way through. Every time you see the pattern of a deliverer in the Old Testament, it's a pointing to Jesus, the ultimate deliverer. The patterns are Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, the judges, Samuel, David, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, many others are deliverers for God's people, but they're not able to fully deliver. The only person who does deliver us is Jesus. He is the Savior. You know, that's what his name means, isn't it? Savior. He is the Savior of the world, the deliverer. The only person who delivers us, and I'll read this unlikely passage, and you guys get ready to come and sing. I want to urge, listen, this is unlikely. You're not even thinking about this. You, you would never put this together. Just think about it. Romans 16, verse 17. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Avoid them. For those are such... Do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Don't learn about evil. Don't go study evil. Study righteousness, folks. And then the God of peace. Listen to verse 20, Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet very soon. Amen. Jesus in Genesis 3.15 was going to crush Satan's head. The Bible says in Romans chapter 16 verse 20. Hold on. It's still going to happen. Jesus in creation. Jesus was there in the fall. Amen. Amen. Well, let me also offer you a good morning. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and Happy New Year to you. I'm so thankful to be here with you today. What we're going to do now quickly is move into part two of our four portraits of Jesus, and it's just so great to celebrate him with you today. And so let's just continue to think much about him as we think about his word. We're going to cover two more portraits, as I just said, and what we're wanting to do today is to leave better understanding that the whole Bible is all about him. In order to prepare us to read uh, this year in 2023 and every year after, and so what we're wanting to do, along with the other initiatives that we have, was to leave believing that, that the whole Bible, New Testament as well as Old Testament, friends, promises, reveals, proclaims, explains, and anticipates Jesus. And, and in order to do that well, we need frameworks, we need examples, and we want to leave ready and eager to read. Because Jesus himself said in John 10, 27, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow me. So disciples follow Jesus, and disciples follow Jesus through his word. And so as we were thinking of, of how to put this together, as Pastor Phil and I were thinking about how to put this together, we wanted to get themes and frameworks that you encounter in the Bible that you bump up against pretty often 
that cover a lot of ground. Because we can't leave today, as Pastor Phil mentioned, we can't leave today understanding all the ways in which the Bible is one story with one main character. But we can leave with some examples, with some frameworks, and with some models to know best how the whole Bible promises, reveals, proclaims, explains, and anticipates Jesus to make us a church that is eager, uh, eager to read this year and every year after. So we had, we had Jesus in creation. That covers a lot of ground as you read. And then we had Jesus in the fall and all that that means and how that connects to Jesus. Now, now we've got two more. Okay, now I know you don't, uh, we didn't uh, give, you, give you notes, but maybe you're, maybe you're just thinking about these in your mind. Maybe you just want to sit and listen because um, we're not really giving just sort of classic working through passages here. So you may just want to sit and listen. I do have a couple of headings that you can hang your thoughts on though. Okay, so let's get the next two portraits to help us get a framework for how to read the Bible for all it's worth this year and every year after. So number three, number three. Jesus and the sacrifices. Jesus and the sacrifices. So Jesus in creation, Jesus in the fall. Number three, Jesus and the sacrifices. When we say sacrifices, we mean the system of offerings, particularly offerings for sin that we find in the Old Testament. You will bump up against this often as you read. An entire system, an intricate and detailed way of living for the people that often involves the making of sacrifice. It is just impossible to read the Bible and avoid sacrifice, avoid animals, avoid blood, avoid sin. And as a reminder, the Old Testament in particular is three-fourths of our Bible. And much of it covers this ground. Now, particularly, we see this system... Uh, best defined and described, and if you have any experience with the Bible, you may be thinking, thinking what I'm thinking, the book of Leviticus. Okay, and I want you to take your Bible, and I just want to show you something. I, I would like for you to open it or go to it to Leviticus chapter 16. Okay, now, uh, we were just in Genesis for a moment. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in your Bible. I want to just show you something in chapter 16. Now, uh, famously, the book of Leviticus, it has been said, is where reading plans go to end. Um, so don't, uh, if you have any experience with the Bible, you know what I mean. It's, it's a slog. Okay. It's a slog. It feels a little bit remote. It's an ancient society that did things a little bit different than us, but there is theological richness and there is gospel glory in the book of Leviticus and found in this larger sacrificial system that existed within the nation of Israel. And if we can grab a hold of it, on this side of the cross and the resurrection, the book of Leviticus can become your favorite book in the Bible, and you will not skip over all of the offerings that the, that the people have to make. So what we have in this book, specifically in the first 10 chapters, is this system described for us. And then you get to, uh, then you get to chapter 16. So here's a couple of thoughts for us to just hang our, hang our thoughts on here, friends. First, I want us to understand, to be able to read the Bible for all it's worth and to see how this all leads us to Jesus, the necessity of atonement. The necessity of atonement. Okay, I'll say all these a couple of times so that you can get them in your mind. We learn from this system that God is holy, that his people are sinful, and that in order for the two to be reconciled, sin had to be, and here's the important word, atoned for. It's an important Bible word. You find it often in our English Bibles, and you find it here in uh, what is called the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16 as an example of this system. Atonement means making amends, uh, blotting out an offense, 
giving satisfaction for a wrong that's done, in this case, a wrong done to God, and, and, and thereby reconciling oneself, the alienated, and restoring the disrupted relationship. The, the, the word atone or atonement means to cover, to cover something. And because all people are sinners and stand under a holy God's just and right judgment, built into the Israelite calendar every year was something called the Day of Atonement within a larger framework of sacrifices, and we see it described in Leviticus 16. Now, you could just go home today and just read it. It is intricate and it is detailed. This day itself is a whole series of messages, and there are roads that would lead you to the gospel all over it. What I want to do is just show you how it anticipates the true and great sacrifice of Jesus so that when you bump up against these sacrifices, you read them for what they can be for you, gospel glory. Okay, now let's, let's summarize the ritual. Here's what would happen on the seventh month, on the tenth day of that month, every year for the nation of Israel. The priest, in this case Aaron, would take three animals, a bull and two male goats. The bull he would sacrifice for his own sins, hang on to that idea, and for the sins of his household. So the priest makes sacrifice for his own sins. He would then take the, take the two male goats. One of them would have, would have the sins confessed over it, and it would be killed The other goat would then be left alive and sent out into the wilderness. Can you guess the name of that goat? It's the scapegoat. Symbolizing that sin has left the people in the camp. Three animals, a bull, and two goats. Now, this double ritual of two goats being sent, one one killed and one sent away, and of course his blood, if you read the chapter, the goat's blood is sprinkled in a few places. There's all sorts of elements to this, but the broad summary is this. The lesson we learn is that through the sacrifice of a qualified substitute, God's wrath is averted through blood and sins are carried out of sight, never to trouble the relationship again. That's what it was showing them. And so many things are here. You see this like in in chapter 16, if you're looking down at your Bible in whatever form you have it, uh, verses 6 down to 10 kind of gives the summary of this. It show, it's God telling the priest, take the bull, take it. You, they, would, they would cast lots over which, which goat would be the scapegoat and which would be the sacrificial goat, the, the, the guilt goat with which the sins would be transferred. It's all there, and then it gets into more detail, but particularly verses 6 through 10 of Leviticus chapter 16. And so, so many things are here in this chapter. First, the necessary wrath of a holy God. The less experience we may have with the Bible, or the less experience we may have with religion in general, this could sound very pagan, it could sound very bloody. Animals are sacrificed and killed. There's, a, there's, just, a, there's just a world of difference between the pagan religions that surrounded the nation of Israel and the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not capricious. He's not, he's not, he's not, a, he's not flying off the handle at his people. He's, he's, a, he's a perfect, holy God, and his wrath is his, hang on to this word, friends, necessary response to our sin. It's necessary. He's not, uh, he must act in a way that is right for a right judge to act. You want God to be this way. Everything in you says, God, please punish evil. The problem we have is we're so slow to include ourselves. We see his wrath. We see a qualified substitute. The lamb dies in the place of the people and is sent away to symbolize their sin going away. Cleansing from sin, the removal of sin, it's all here except one thing. One thing is not present in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Permanence. 
conveniently absent from the sacrificial system is full sufficiency. Do you know what, do you know what, uh, and this isn't the only time they make sacrifices. I mean, they were making sacrifices all the time. And here's what would happen, uh, here's what would happen on the next year, on the seventh month, on the tenth day. Run it back. Run it back. Do it again. And so not only, friends, do we have the necessity of the atonement, but we have an anticipation of the sacrifice to come, the burden of repetition. The burden of repetition. There's nothing pretty here. There's a lot of blood taking place. Imagine the sensory overload of this. Imagine the impact of your own heart each time a guilt offering or a sin offering is made, knowing that your sin made it necessary. And imagine the frustration, the overwhelming burden of knowing that you've got to come back and do it again. Built into the Old Testament sacrificial system is the burden of repetition for the priest and for the people. Permanence is missing. Is it required? Sure. But full atonement is missing. Complete atonement is missing. The complete putting away and covering of sin is missing. Where can it be found? The Old Testament compels us to ask. And as you read, you can ask on this side of the cross and resurrection, is there a perfect sacrifice that can ever cleanse and forgive my sin? I mean, friends, what's our confession? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of bulls and goats? Yes, there is a priest, there is a bull, there is a goat, there is blood, and it is Jesus. And we read in Hebrews, particularly in chapter 10, I'm going to quote it, mark it down, you can read it later. Hebrews 10, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, I'm in verse 1. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He's got to be talking about the Day of Atonement. Read the Bible that way. That's what we're trying to say, friends. Read it that way. And then he says in chapter 10, verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. So as you read the Bible and as you bump up against this system, you know this, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. There's a lot of things we repeat in our services. You will never see a bull and you will never see a goat because Jesus is those things for us. Jesus and the sacrifices. Number four. Number four. Jesus and the kingdom. Jesus and the kingdom. Reading through the Bible, particularly large chunks of narrative in the Old Testament, means encountering kings and kingdoms. We have whole books. We have two books called Kings. Now, much of this is due to the fact that we're dealing with an ancient world and kings and kingdoms was just how they did things. But that does not change the fact that kingship and everything included in it is a th- central theme in the Bible. That God is a ruler, that he made a world, and that as one author said, one of the central themes of the Bible is God's people in God's place under God's rule. And the central king in the Old Testament is David. Now, it could be argued that Solomon advances the kingdom further in terms of prominence and economics, but David seems to be the high point in terms of kings. He's a man after God's own heart, chosen surprisingly as the youngest son of Jesse to succeed King Saul. And there are times, guys, when David seems to get it all right. There are times when it seems like the people could think, maybe David is the promised seed from chapter 315. That's one way... Here's, another, here's a framework you can use for reading the Bible. What will, what's going to fix our problem? Is it Noah and his ark? Is it Abraham and his family? Is it, is it one of the judges? Is it Samuel? Is it one of the kings? Oh, Nehemiah's back. The temple's rebuilt. What will fix the problem? 
The Old Testament sets up foils by which we can then test, and it sets up anticipation for us so that when Jesus comes, it's clear, and David seems to get it. He seems to be everything a king ought to be described in places like Psalm 2 and in Psalm 72, but David fails. David sins. David and each of his descendants leave us longing for more, for better, for truer, for one final king. Look for this longing, friends, for this anticipation, this hope, for a son to occupy David's throne perfectly, for, perfectly in, in, in for forever, one who will with justice rule from sea to shining sea, and one in whom all the coastlands will be glad forever. So we have imperfect kings, and then we have Jesus, who is revealed as the king of kings. He's told by his mother, at that very first Christmas. And the Lord his God will give to him the throne of his father, who? David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and if we miss the point, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You don't say that about David. You don't say that about Solomon. You can't say it about Hezekiah. You have to say it about Jesus. And what do kings have? What what does King Jesus have right now? He's got laws and he's got subjects. It's a, and he is a king, Jesus is a king, who takes his law, the Bible says, and writes it not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of hearts, creating a people who are changed from the inside out. Now, if you, if you stick with this Bible reading plan that we've given you, and we've got it by, um, it's going to come out in sections, so today you've got January, February, and March, and you stick all the way to December of 2023, something very unique will happen. One of your readings in December of 2023 will be the book of Revelation. And so as you were celebrating the first, the first coming of Jesus, you will be reading and anticipating his second. And on December 29th of 2023, you'll read Revelation 18 and 19. It says this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in about the middle, the middle of, this, uh, of this just symbol-laden section about King Jesus. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And as you are reading of kings and kingdoms, you know that Jesus is the last and final king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and he will live long, for he died, and he will never die again. And everything this church does this day in 2023 and for as long as the Lord gives us, everything this church does and all of her ministries, everything Pastor Jonathan announced that's now starting this year exists to help as many people as possible acknowledge this reign and to know this Jesus. So have you, have you bowed your knee? Would you bow your knee? Would you trust this King? My friends, we want to read the Bible for all it's worth. We want to know that the Bible promises, reveals, proclaims, explains, and causes us to hope for Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray together and we'll sing once more. Lord Jesus, we pray that these frameworks would help us now and that even now as we just continue to continue to sing of the hope that we have in you, that we would be so grateful for all the good things that you have given us in Jesus, that we have that, that, that we, 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 no longer, we, we no longer make sacrifices for the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. But we can rest in the assurance today, we can go to bed tonight knowing that we are safe with God. Because my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to that one cross and we, we have to bear it no more. We have to bear it not a second longer. 
we can transfer it onto Christ, our King and our Savior. Lord, we pray that this year, as your people here at Grace Church, we would think seriously about your word and about community and about serving your church. Lord, we pray that you would give us all the grace we need to perform your will this year and every year after and fill us with joy, the joy of the Lord now as we sing. In Jesus' great name, and everyone said.